Welcome to Right On Radio. My name is Jeff. I am the host of the show, and I have a good one for you today. I believe this will be, in fact, I know this will be part one, uh, the amount of information that I have absorbed in the last 10 hours or so is literally enough to make my mind explode. What you're going to be learning about is God's plan from the beginning to the end, but focused on a very specific number of things that I have found in the Word of God that have never popped out to me like they have today. And from this, we're going to derive what the enemy's plan is, how he counterfeits, and basically his run from the beginning to the end. But again, focusing on very specific things. Now, the title of the show is... The Alchemy Nuclear Transmutation. We're going to be focusing on God's word, but the devil doesn't create a thing. He takes God's and inverts it. So it's important, and this particular part one is going to put a foundation in place. So I would encourage you to pause this, make some notes if you want, or go back and watch this again prior to part two. This one gets deep and pretty wild. So let's just look at the word alchemy to start. And this is essentially just the basic definition. The medieval forerunner of chemistry based on the supposed transformation of matter. It was concerned particularly with attempts to convert base metals into gold or to find a universal elixir. And that elixir is immortal life. That's the goal of the enemy. And by the way, that's also the goal of our God. See, our God is all about salvation. That's why he came and lived here as a man and died and rose again. All oh, this is going to go wonderful places, folks. Now let's look at the word nuclear Relating to the nucleus of an atom. So it's important that you're going to remember alchemy. It's important you're going to remember nuclear. The centermost, innermost, mid-middle interior, the center of, denoting, relating, or powered by the energy released. And then it talks about nuclear submarines, nuclear power. 
but denoting or possessing nuclear power. Denoting or possessing nuclear power. So remember, alchemy, looking for the elixir. Actually, I'm going to make this point right here on this slide here. First of all, there you're not going to create gold from lead. The way they have kept these things secret from people is the enemy speaks in metaphor. And unless you are part of their training, their secret societies, the metaphors don't make sense. They're speaking a completely different language than you and I. Now, where did the devil learn that from? Well, he learned it from God. Because you see, to describe the things in the spirit, we do not have proper language because it's so far beyond our comprehension that God, although the Bible is literal, it is also metaphorical. So, lead to gold, alchemy, metaphorical. It's speaking more of the spirit. You're going to see. And again, what is the nucleus of an atom? Or denoting or possessing the nuclear power. By the way, what else is nuclear? Oh, the foundation of the world? The family? The nuclear family? Why do you think it's called that? We'll get back to that. Transmutation is our third word. The action of changing or a state of being changed into another form. In physics, it is the changing of one element into another by radioactive decay, nuclear bombardment, or similar processes. So smashing atoms. In biology, it is the conversion or transformation of one species into another. The supposed alchemical alchemical process of changing base metals into gold. Let me just say this. Transmutation or translation as in with uh, Moses and Elijah, transfiguration. Very similar. But let's just consider Christ for just one moment. 
Christ was God. I have all the scriptures. I don't have time to go. I've got too much to go through. But in the beginning was God and the word of God. Jesus is fully God. He sent himself through immaculate conception into a person named Mary. Jesus was born in physical form as a man. Jesus went to the cross and then was transmuted into a brand new creation. This is a foundation in which we are going to explore deeply. But first I'm going to play a six-minute video. This is originally done by the Lion of Judah, a great YouTube channel that I've followed for years. And this is six minutes long, and it's an introduction to the devil. Many of you have probably heard this clip before, but it's really good. And it's going to help set the foundation. Again, we're not going to be focusing on the devil. But it's important. You're going to wonder, why am I putting this in even with alchemy, nuclear, transmutation? It'll all come full circle. Just listen to this. It's six minutes long. Now let me just tell you a bit about the devil first, so that you've got a clear picture in your mind of what we're praying against. First of all, the Bible does not paint him as a horned creature with a forked tail. That's the sort of thing that makes us laugh at him, take him less than seriously. See, the Bible says he's a real person. The Bible never calls the devil it, always he. Next, the Bible says that he has a heart and a mind and a will. And if a heart and a mind and a will don't make a personality, I don't know what does. It talks about the devil's feelings, talks about his thoughts, and it talks about his motives. And that means to me a person. So the devil is not just a, a kind of vague word to sum up all the forces of evil in the world. No, he is a person in his own right. And if there were no human beings at all, Satan would still exist. Now, Jesus himself took Satan desperately seriously. He never made a joke about him. He never laughed at him. He never caricatured him. Here are some of the titles that Jesus gave Satan. He said he is the prince of this world. When Satan offered Jesus all the kingdoms of the world, Jesus did not say they are not yours to give because he knew perfectly well they were Satan's to give. And it is a, a horrible thought, if you really realize it, that the world in which we live is ruled over by Satan. He is the prince of this world, but let's take it a step further. Do you know that another title Jesus gave to Satan? He said he's not only the ruler or prince of this world, he is the God of this world. The only other person beside his heavenly father to whom Jesus ever applied the word God was Satan. 
means that my heavenly father is God of everything. But of this world, Satan is God, which means very simply not only that Satan controls this world and is able to manipulate science and education and politics for his own ends. More than that, Satan is actually the real God whom most people on earth worship, whether they know it or not. That behind so much religion, behind so much activity, Satan is the one who's being worshipped. He's the person. And even by some who go to church and chapel on Sunday, in reality, he's their God. For they worship the things that he offers them. They want the things of the world that he belongs to and rules over, rather than setting their mind on the things that are above where Jesus is. And if you want this world, and if you want the things of this world, then I give you a piece of advice. Make Satan your God. If you want this world, he's a wonderful God to have because he'll give it to you. There's always a price to pay. When the bill comes in, you may not be quite so happy, but he'll give it to you. He can give you money, he can give you fame, he can give you anything you want. Because it's his to give. Where have you been, Satan, says God in the book of Job? Well, I've been patrolling the earth, I've been looking around my estate. And he had. Now let's get this clear, that doesn't mean that God is helpless in this world. It does mean, and we've got to think this through, that God is allowing Satan to be prince of this world and God of this world. He's allowed it. And people say, what does God think he's doing allowing that? Well, I would just say my only answer to that one is, what's he doing allowing you to be like you are? Why should you blame him for allowing Satan to rebel when he allowed you to? The answer is very simple. He's a father and he will not force any of his creatures to go his way. And he gives you freedom to rebel. And we can't grumble about him giving the angels freedom, though they have superior intelligence and strength. Because he gave us the same freedom and we've used it in the wrong way. Do you know there are two books in the Bible that the devil hates? More than any other two books in the Bible, out of all 66, there are two that say more about him than any others, and it's these that he has attacked more than any others. They are the one at the beginning and the one at the end, Genesis and Revelation. And you know why he hates them? Because Genesis describes his devices and Revelation describes his doom. And he hates those two books. And there has been more scholarly attack on the book of Genesis than any other book, and more attempt to turn it into myth and legend and away from fact than any other book in the Bible. Why? Because Satan doesn't want you to believe that Genesis 3 ever happened. He doesn't want you to know how he got hold of Eve. He doesn't want you to believe that he said what he did to that first married couple. And he attacks the book of Genesis. But the other book which he hates more than any other is the book of Revelation. Because as you read through that book, you come to a point where it says that the devil himself will be cast into the lake of fire. Do you know that Jesus told us to pray every day about the devil? Do you know that? The original prayer that he taught his disciples when they said, Lord, teach us to pray. He said, pray like this. Say, Dad in heaven. Then pray for the things he wants, his name, his will, his kingdom. Then he said, pray for the things you need. You need food, you need forgiveness. Then he said, finish by praying this. Deliver us from the evil one. We've turned evil into a thing in our thinking. It's not a thing, it's a person. There's no evil anywhere in the universe apart from persons.
persons. Evil is an intensely personal thing. There's no love in the universe apart from persons who love. And so evil is personal. And Jesus said, pray daily, deliver us from the evil one. Start your prayer by thinking of your dad in heaven, but end your prayer by thinking of the devil on earth and go out to face him. Well, if the things in that recording were true, and the devil hates the book of Genesis, and he hates the book of Revelation, that's exactly where we're going to go, and I'm going to focus on it. But it's important to note this. I'm not going to pull up the scriptures in Isaiah, but you understand why Satan fell from heaven. And yes, you're going to think it's pride. And yes, that's it. But the real reason is because of you, he fell. You see, he saw what God was going to do and make us in his image. And Satan was the most beautiful. Satan fell because he hates the fact that God made you. Satan's goal on earth is to stop you from becoming who God intends you to be. And I'm not going new age here, folks. God intends you to be saved and to be transmuted into heaven. Satan will do everything he can to stop that. And how does he go against it? He takes everything that God created and he inverts it. Let's get back into the scripture. And we're going to have to go over some foundational stuff in this video. I'm going to start in Genesis 1. And God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarmed according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply. Now, why do I pull that out? Because everything can only be of its kind by natural process. So, lead to gold? Nope. Not talking about that. But we go through a process. And the process is being born into sin, being forgiven by sin, accepting Jesus Christ, and then going off to fulfill our eternity with God. 
But let's continue. Still in Genesis 1. I want you to pay attention. This is Genesis 1. I'm going to pick up in verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every crawling thing that crawls on earth. Remember that. So verse 27, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. That's Genesis 1. I think you might find it curious when we go into Genesis 2, after the seven, seventh day when God rested, Genesis 2, I pick up in verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In that day... The Lord God made earth and heaven. Now no shrub of the field was yet on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted. For the Lord God had not set rain upon the earth. Almost like there's an alchemical thing that needs to happen there. Sorry. Um there was so he had not set rain to the earth and there was no man to cultivate the ground but hold on didn't he just create male and female in chapter 1 but this is different from chapter 1 keep listening but a mist used to rise from the earth and the water, the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living person. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man. Oops. Who sat out on the ground of the Lord because it was pleasing to him. Oh, I'm my <laughs> it's cut off at the bottom. Oh, hold on. Let me go to full screen here. No, it's still cut off. The point is, Genesis 1, he creates man in his own image. Is God in the flesh? 
Or is this the creation of the spirit man of God? I'm not 100% sure, but this is what I'm seeing. And by the way, it really isn't that relevant to this entire thing, but he created the spirit first. We know that everything's created in the spirit first. And then he created flesh. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living person. And the story goes on. He puts Adam into a sleep and takes a rib out and makes a female. Now, is there somewhat of a transmutation there? I'm asking the question. Let's think about this. So right after the account, the very next paragraph in Genesis 2, after God made man and woman persons, Verse 10, now a river flowed out of Eden to the water of the garden, and from there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon, and it flows around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. The bedillium and the onx stones are there as well. Huh. Why does God, right after the creation of man, talk about the gold, the delium, and the onks? Well, let's look for some definitions, first of all, to uh, maybe help out. So gold... A yellow precious metal, the chemical element of atomic number, atomic, remember nuclear? Number 79. I'm not going to pay attention to 79, just so you know. Gold is a precious yellow metallic element, highly malleable and ductile, and not subject to oxidation or corrosion. Actually, let me go back and do onks before I do delium. Onks, strength, power, and grace. A precious stone that symbolizes strength, power, and grace in the Bible. It is one of the stones that was used to adorn the high priest's breastplate 
representing the tribe of Joseph. Also, it was one of the jewels on Lucifer. Onks. A black stone. People have been using onks for over 4,000 years for magical and practical purposes. It can heal. It can keep your mind clear during meditation. And it can redirect negative energy into positive action. Delium is a kind of pearl, but it is not produced from oysters out of the ocean. It is a kind of pearl produced from a tree's secretion. I'm just going to read that again. It's a kind of pearl produced from a tree's secretion. When the resin of the tree, the tree's life secretion, what does that remind you of, folks? The tree's sap congeals into gum, and this gum is considered as a transparent pearl. Delium is a pearl produced by plant life and not by animal life. So let's rewind. Why do we have alchemy, nuclear, transmutation, gold, delium, and onks? Remember when Jesus described our relationship to him when he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Jesus, our God, represents the family, a father, the son, the Holy Spirit. They operate as a family. Jesus said, I only do as my Father instructs me. On earth, we are created this way as well. And who are we created to be? Well, God says he wants none to perish. That means he wants all to be in his church. Now we know that most people won't be a part of that church. But when you're part of his church, what are you? You are his body. And he is the head. 
if you're starting to understand this, I'm giving very, very advanced precepts in this intro. But just think of the things. It's a kind of pearl produced from a tree's secretion. Think of Jesus coming as God into the flesh and then becoming a new creation in God and making the way for us. The picture in Genesis 2 shows us the tree of life, a river of water at the flow of the river, our gold, gold pearl, and the plant life, and the onk stone. We need to ask what the significance of this really is. Now, we've done a bit of Genesis 1 and a bit of Genesis 2. We really need to carry on to Genesis 3 to find out what is going on with all these things. And let's look at the original deception. Remember, he's highly deceptive. He's highly intelligent. He is the prince of this world, but he is not a creator. Genesis 3, verse 4. The serpent said to the woman, You certainly will not die, for God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will become God, knowing good and evil. You will become like God. I know I've taught on this in the past, but I need to re-emphasize that. You will become like God. Satan wants to become like God. You become like him in the way that you will know what God and evil is. And you will become part of his family. But we won't become God. Satan wants to be God. Big difference. And right after the fall, and you know the story of the nakedness and having been discovered by the Lord walking in the garden, and he quizzed the man and the woman, and he gave them their sentences. But first he addressed the serpent. And what did God say to the serpent? Verse 14. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all of the livestock and more than any animal of the field. Listen to this. 
on your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life i'm going to stop there just for a second you see there are the second and the third heavens And there's Hades as well. Some of the angels, if we got into Genesis 6, and the Nephilim and things like that, were cast down into Hades, and they're currently in chains. This is important to this mini-series. The ones below... And then here it says that Satan himself is basically on your belly. He's bound to the earth. And he's eating dust all the days of his life. What is his life? It's until he's cast into the pit. Verse 15, and I will make enemies of you and the woman. Listen to this. And of your offspring and her descendants. What do you suppose God is saying when he says, and I will make enemies of you and the woman and your offspring and her descendants? It has a lot to do with the blood, folks. What would his offspring be? I would suggest to you that it's the line of Cain. He shall bruise you on the head and your head shall bruise him on the heel. So even though his enemies are the ones who are going to judge him, and we will look and we will say, that is the one that did all this? Genesis 3. Then the Lord God, uh, starting from verse 22, then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us. Did you just hear that? Genesis 3, verse 22, the Lord said, the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. 
And now he might reach out with his hand and take fruit also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So God cast man out of the garden because he didn't want man to reach his hand and eat from the tree of life and live forever. The elixir we don't need it. We have the elixir, that's Jesus. The philosopher's stone is a mythical alchemical substance capable of turning base metals such as mercury into gold or silver. It is also called the elixir of life, useful for rejuvenating and for achieving immortality. For many centuries, it was the most sought-after goal in alchemy. The philosopher's stone was the central symbol of mystical terminology of alchemy, symbolizing perfection at its finest enlightenment and heavenly bliss. Efforts to discover the philosopher's stone were known as the great work. Why would I bring this up? And this here says gold or silver. Does silver come into play? Let me give you a hint of where this goes. Gold stays the same. The delium, that pearl from the sap, that changes. The devil is imitating. And of course, at the end of the Philosopher's Stone, what they're really trying to get to is the Golden Man, a process of inner alchemy. Because although there's biological things that they are doing, It's mostly about your mind, your will, and the blood. Satan's goal 
is to unleash from the abyss and take as much power from the people on earth to kill as many as you can, but to transmute as many as you can in the last days for the final battle with God. I'm going to play a short video for you just before we conclude. This one is four minutes, but I want you to just with the background of everything that I've said in the video I've played earlier, listen to this for some context, and I'll have a final word before closing off. The final goal is to eradicate humanity as we know it. Once you understand the final destination, it becomes much easier to look back and identify the psychological conditioning, the biological tampering, the cultural grooming and the educational prepping that we have been subjected to for decades in preparation to making us accept a post-human future. It takes a lot of physical and psychological abuse to get an intelligent species like ours to agree to its own extinction. Most, if not all, that has transcended in the last 60 years was designed to get us closer to accepting such a dystopian reality. Whether you care to accept it or not, we live in a hyper-controlled matrix where our perception of reality is meticulously planned, managed, and executed in order to control and steer us in whichever direction they wish. And the direction is a post-human world. For this, they first needed to destabilize, dehumanize, and demoralize humanity through every means possible. The destruction of the nuclear family, children being indoctrinated by the state, abortion, the eradication of God and spirituality from education, life in mega cities and away from nature, toxic food, air and water, social media, replacing real human connection and interaction, engineered financial crisis and taxation, endless wars and massive migration, stress, anxiety, depression, drugs and alcohol, constant fear-mongering, moral relativism as the new religion. And I could go on and on about how humanity has been influenced and forced to move away from all the things that give us strength, security, purpose, and meaning. A weak, immoral, disconnected, ignorant, and unhealthy population is an easy target for the next stage, the creation of an entire generation of androgynous beings. Masculinity is under attack psychologically, culturally, and biologically. Women are being replaced in sports, entertainment, and politics by men pretending to be women. And children are being indoctrinated at school to think that gender is a choice. The transgender movement is not a grassroots movement. It comes from the top. 
It has nothing to do with people's freedom of expression, sexuality, or civil rights. It's an evil psyop to, with a clear agenda to get us closer to transhumanism by making us question the most fundamental notion of human identity. Agenda. To already identify as a hybrid between a man and a woman, you will be easily convinced to become a hybrid between human and machine. Gender ideology is the two plus two equals five from George Orwell's 1984 dystopian novel. It's the final test to see whether we will follow the most absurd party line towards our own extinction. But two plus two equals four. And no matter how you choose to dress, call yourself, or change your physique, will not change that. The sad reality, though, is that in the gaslighting process to get us closer to a post-human future, they have mentally and physically harmed an increasing number of children and young people. And it's only getting worse. This must be stopped. That was a really well-balanced presentation. I wish I knew the person who was speaking. But there's a couple key things in there. A post-human civilization. You know, that will become a reality. The devil's trying to make it go one way, but God will have his way, and it will go another way, and eventually there won't be humans. He is going to create a new heavens and a new earth. But, you know, even during the thousand-year reign, there will be humans here. And that goes up to the final battle, which is Gog and Magog. But what is it is so important for the enemy to get into transhumanism now? And that's the entire agenda of this inversion, other than it's offensive to God, of sexuality. It is the gateway to transhumanism. Next one, we're going to learn a lot more about gold, delium, and precious stones. I can't wait. The Lord is just... My study today was so incredible. I'm going to keep studying for you, and I'll come back. So, in the meantime, thank you for being here. And, uh, oh, you know what? Right before I go, I should have done this earlier. Hey, don't be transmuted into sickness. <laughs> go to ror.petclub247.com ror.petclub247.com Stop the transmutation for people and for pets. 
get in there. It's good stuff. In the meantime, remember, love your God. Love your family. Love your neighbor as yourself before they're transmuted. (laughs) (laughs) And make a difference in your community.